If you're listening to Polygon's quality control, it's likely because you don't have time for below average games. So why settle for the same old average investing tool? Now there's a smarter way to manage your money and it's called Betterment. Betterment uses cutting edge tech to build a personalized portfolio and help you make more from your investments. Don't settle for average investing, demand better. Betterment, outsmart average. Quality control listeners can get up to one year managed free by visiting betterment.com slash quality. That's betterment.com slash quality. Investing involves risk. My guest today is senior reporter Colin Campbell. My name is Charlie Hall, and today we're talking about return of the Obra Din. You're listening to Polygon's Quality Control. Thank you for joining me this afternoon, Colin. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you for inviting me. No big deal. I I played Return of the Obra Din some time ago, way back when it was just like, I want to say the first 20 or 30 minutes. It's it's a game by Lucas Pope, the maker of Papers, Please. He's a he's a renowned indie game designer and developer, um, but his releases have been a little bit few and far between of late. What exactly is the return of the Obra Din. It's a first-person puzzle game, in the in the sense that you are set on a, a, a ship in the early nineteenth century, and you interact with this ship through first person. You kind of go through it looking for clues in order to solve uh, dozens of murders because everybody on the ship who was on the ship is dead, and it's, the ship has turned up in harbour. You're an insurance agent. It's your job to find out what happened. And it gives you some tricks which allow you, the game gives you some tricks which allows you to sort of uh, see through a keyhole, so to speak, uh, and, and look for clues. So you've got this timepiece which allows you to get a glimpse of that the, the dead person. Perhaps you find a, a corpse or a skeleton and you, you, you use this timepiece to get a sense of the dead person's last moment on on earth and that that when i say moment i it could be literally two or three seconds you get to see a kind of still image which you can walk around like a 3d image and you might have some audio some some you know the sounds of them screaming or for calling for help or whatever so you get a rough idea of what happened to them but what you don't know necessarily is who killed them or who they are and that's what you've got to try to figure out so the second item you have is this book and and as you gather clues and as you make guesses uh, the book kind of fills itself in and you get a sense of what happened on this fated voyage now the clues the bodies do not turn up in chronological order so you, you might come across a body and and uh, you figure out that the person x killed uh, this the, you know this this person uh, but later on you you see that you see that the, the person who died is is alive in another situation because you're you're jumping around on a timeline. All right. So let's zoom in real quick on this book. When you say that it kind of fills in the details and it, you say it also gives you choices to make or guesses to make, how does the book function? Because that wasn't something that was part of that early demo that I played. Yeah, the, the book, uh, it sort of acts as a frame for the whole story and it has different chapters so that if you're looking at something happening on the boat, you know, the, the boat's in a storm and a mysterious creature appears uh, you, you know, that's that chapter. And you can sort of, you place it, uh, you can see that that happens 
after uh, uh, the bosun gets shot or whatever. But at, but at the same time, you use the book to make guesses because, uh, you know, early in the game, uh, you come across a woman who's dying of uh, some sort of uh, an early 19th century ailment in her cot, and she calls out for her brother. And you look at the manifest, which is in the book, and you see that there are, uh, there's a man and a woman with the same surname. And so you you guess that they are they are brother and sister, and so you can identify who she is and who he is. And that's the sort of really the easiest puzzle in the whole game. And and later on, you so you're using the manifest, you're using these images that you you interact with through the the clock, and you're using a couple of drawings that are in the book in order to kind of figure out. Who these people are, and and I use the analogy of Sukudu, uh, sorry, Sudoku. Do I say that right? I don't know. And, um, <laughs> Sudoku, yeah, no, that's one hundred percent. And 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 I saw another critic uh, use the same analysis because it is like that. It's like right, I'm going to have to come back to this problem when I have a bit more information. And so you wait for another murder in order to go right. Now I see what that guy's doing, lurking on the out outskirts, and I understand that that person is that person from earlier on. And so you figure it all out that way. You kind of triangulate what the problem is. And I, and I think that makes it a puzzle game much more than an adventure game. Narrative Sudoku. I love that. But the game also has this, this very unique, I, I think remarkable art style. It's it's monochromatic, but it has a very heavy emphasis on, on sources of light. Tell me more about that art style. If you played Mac games in the early 80s, as I unfortunately am old enough to remember doing, then you'll remember that art style, that sort of black and white line drawing. Drawing, And I remember when those games first came out, uh, they were the future. They just seemed so magical because you sort of fell, you know, at the time we were playing games like Space Invaders and Frogger and what have you, uh, or text adventures. But in these games, you kind of fell through the images into more images and they, they told stories. And, they, and this... Uh, this art style makes use of of that as well, and uh, and it's it's kind of the art uh, is ambiguous because uh, sometimes you can't really see what you're looking at because it's like a line drawing. It's like the line drawings that you see in you know Dickensian kind of uh, time frame novels, and they don't always show you clearly what you want to see. And this is especially the case with human faces. So you see a guy with mutton chops, you think, ah, oh, that's the guy with mutton chops. But is it mutton chops or is it a shadow? And that kind of that adds to the um, the mystery of, of what you're trying to figure out because you're looking for clues all the time. And it's not as if you're searching around the crime scene for, oh, here's a bullet that was left. It's more that you're noticing that this person has got a Scottish accent and that person is a little bit older and so therefore is more likely to be a first lieutenant rather than this other Scottish person who's younger and is more likely to be a shipmate. So so those are the kind of clues that you put together. So, But the production value of this, as far as indie games go, in my opinion, completely over the top. It's It's fully 3D. It's fully voice acted as well. It's just, it's a really rich play experience you're moving around with wasd or a controller right yeah and uh, and the, uh, the the production values in terms of the art is fantastic and the, the fact that you're moving around these incredible moments of deep distress you know the sailor is about to be killed you know his life is about to end and you're seeing the, this realization in his in his face in this in this peculiar art style but also everything else that's going on the face of the murderer the face of his best friend uh, the storm the the, the fact that uh, some of the rigging is is halfway through falling down. Somebody is running away, and and 
all of it adds up to these tiny, tiny little narratives of each individual which you have to take track of. And there are like 50, 60 characters in the game. So it's a lot to follow. And as Whoa. I say in the review, it's a bit like that game Her Story where the only way to keep track of all the events and all the characters is to is to kind of like keep notes or have a really fantastic memory. It's like playing Clued. Uh, Cluedo, I call it. You got it. You call it Clue, uh, <laughs> but just just much more complicated and and on, and on just so many more levels. And it makes me think of how this this is something that I want to talk about is how uh, Who Done It just seems so perfectly made for games like this. You know, this is a story, a narrative game. It has a linearity to it, but it also has a kind of interactive width. That you have to you have to engage with, and when you look at who done it, whether they were on the stage in the 1920s or in novels in the 20s and 30s, Agatha Christie novels, um, they were interactive. You know, you were invited. You're, you know, if you watch them on the BBC now, uh, you're invited to interact in the sense that you're guessing all the time who did it, but you're in the hands of the author. She makes you think it's the butler, but no, it's not the butler because the butler's just been stabbed. So then she makes you think it's the ex-wife, but no, because she was in the kitchen and the murder was in the living room or whatever. Um, and, and so you go through this and by the end of it, you've convinced yourself that, oh yes, I knew it was, uh, you know, the you know Aunt Agatha or whatever. Um, but in this game, the, you feel as if the author is, the author kind of takes himself back out of it. And it's up to you to to put the pieces together. And you you feel as if you're more fully in control than in the narrative form. And so I think the sort of people who like whodunits, uh, who like murder mysteries, will enjoy this sort of a game because it really does test your ability to put facts together, to solve crimes, basically. Colin, I've got plenty more questions about Return of the Obra Dinn, but first, a quick message from this week's sponsor. Now, on Quality Control, we know that beating a game takes some planning ahead. Coming up next, here an advertiser segment from Betterment about how to plan ahead for your financial future. Ten years ago, the Great Recession sent shockwaves through the global economy. And in that uncertain economic environment, consumers were gripped with fear and doubt. 2008, it was, you know, the Great Recession people in general had lost trust in the incumbents and I thought there really ought to be an obvious best answer to the question what should I do with my money but there wasn't. That's John Stein CEO of the financial services company Betterment which he founded because he felt the economic industry was failing the average investor. Imagine a healthcare system designed with just a shelf of medicine and you can go and you can take whatever you want however much you want but there's no doctors just just figure it out. And I think that's a crazy way to design a system that everyone has to use. I thought, how do we help people make great decisions, put the right kind of information in their hands to help them do better? So along with a team of experts, John developed an online financial advisor that could work for anyone. Maybe you're retiring or maybe you're thinking about buying a home or having a child in the future. We learn about those things and create goals for you and a financial plan. It's all the things that a great traditional financial advisor might do for you. But financial advisors charge, you know, maybe four times what, what Betterment charges. Betterment, outsmart average. Please remember, investing involves risk. This has been advertiser content from Betterment. Thanks for that note from Betterment. To learn more about their tools, visit betterment.com slash quality. That's betterment.com slash quality. 
Now back to our conversation about Return of the Obra Dinn. In your review up at Polygon, which we'll link to at the show notes, uh, you say, but it supercharges whodunit conventions by infusing misdirection into every nook and cranny of its intricate, gorgeous murder scenes. Tell me about that misdirection. How does the game misdirect you? Because it, it it is it is a puzzle game, and there are red herrings, and so you you will th- you know at, at some point you will think you'll think that ah oh, yes I know who this person is because of that thing that happened earlier, but then something else will happen later on, and you'll you'll be like damn I was completely suckered into making that uh, assumption, and now I'm going to be much more careful about the assumptions that I make, and so you've got to be more provisional in terms of the uh, the decisions that you make so if i think that it was the captain's best friend that did the murder uh, you know i i may may look at it again and think no actually i'm 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 gonna wait and get some more information and the game uh works in sort of triplets in the in the sense that you can make a guess every time you think that you have uh three murders solved um and 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 it will say to you well okay fine if that's what you think or, and and you and you and you'll go well, well maybe I haven't got that right so all the time it keeps you on your toes and and guessing and it's not easy it's a difficult game uh, and so that's why I think that the sort of, you know it it will suit clever people frankly that that you've got to be the sort of person who keeps an open mind who can retain a lot of information at the same time and who notices things in order to do well at this game you know you talk about those classic BBC whodunits here in the States. We encountered most of them on PBS, um, you know, masterpiece theater kind of stuff. My favorite, Hercule Poirot, Colin. I will I will drop <laughs> everything for an episode of Antiques Roadshow or Hercule Poirot. But so much of those stories were about the investigator, right? The, their personality and their quirks and their, their fabulous um, talent for deduction. Do you feel that the character has a role, that the main character has a role in Return of the Obra Dinn, or is it really more uh, transparent and allowing the player to inhabit it? Yeah, it, it is much more about the player. And I agree with you about uh, characters like Hercule Poirot, who, uh, y- you know, you watch those things and you end up speaking in a Belgian accent for a couple of hours. <laughs> <laughs> Twirling your non-existent mustache. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but, but, but yes, it's much more about you just being yourself and figuring it all out, and I and you know, you, I imagine who the character is as I'm playing, um, and and I, and I think everybody is is free to do that. But it, it does take that element out of the Who Done It, the kind of classic, almost fawning way that those uh, books and plays uh, fall in love with the characters who are solving the mysteries, and that's something that's missing. But you know, this is much more of a puzzle game than it is a puzzle narrative. Now, one thing commonly scoffed at and eventually undermined in, you know, every other episode of Hercule Poirot, every other story of of that famous Agatha Christie series is this concept of the supernatural. So what role does the supernatural play in Return of the Obra Dinn? I don't want to have huge spoilers, but I think you know, you've got a, a time-shifting pocket watch. <laughs> it's in there a little bit at the outset, right? Yes, uh, and things happen to this uh, this unfortunate voyage, which are most certainly uh, supernatural of nature. But uh, to say more than that would be to, uh, to to sort of enter into the realm of spoilers. But yes, this is not, uh, strictly speaking, historical fiction. It's much more of a kind of uh, historical fantasy fiction, and it, and it, and I think it pays tribute to the sort of fiction that we saw coming out in the nineteenth century about supernatural wonders. You, you know, thinking about 
Jules, whatchamacallit, and, and all that sort of Jules fiction. Verne, yeah, for sure. Thank you. Thank you for giving me that memory. Uh, and and uh, yeah, that, that sort of stuff is going on. Okay. So, I don't know. Colin, I like puzzle games, but, you know, I, I was the guy back in the day who would definitely get the, you know, the vinegar marker hint books for the Sierra games, right? I just, every once in a while, it hit a wall. I couldn't progress. What does the Oberdin do mechanically to help you through those parts that you just might not be able to get your head around? Yeah, and there is a, there is an element of this. It, it, like you say, it doesn't hold your hand. You know, I just done. You know, I've been playing quite a lot of action adventures uh, this season, like Tomb Raider, and 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 you, you, those games are set up to kind of pull you through so that you don't get lost. You die forward in a way. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly that. And and uh, this game does not do that. It assumes that you're a person who is going to want to ferret out the uh, the truth here. But what it does do is it allows you to go back. I mean, you have to be able to go back and look again and look for things that you missed because uh, something that doesn't seem important the first time you see it becomes hugely important when you go back and look at it again because you've got more information now. And so you're constantly doubling back on yourself and... Uh, uh, you know, something that seems, oh my God, why have they made this so difficult? It, 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 it turns out that actually you're the problem, not the story. Oh, interesting. All right. So right now this guy is available for Mac, for Windows PC. Would this work as a, like an iOS game or a, or a Switch game? Could you see this making the transition to like a touchscreen or something? Yeah, I don't see why not. Uh, it's it. I mean, it, the interfaces are pretty simple. The 3D, the most complicated thing is other sort of 3D environments that you walk around. Uh, and I think that on a really good a good screen iPad, um, I think you'd be perfectly fine. Uh, you know, playing playing this game, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it coming across to those platforms. All right, now. Lucas Pope's previous game papers, please, did have kind of a, a political message to it. Did you get a, a whiff of that in this one, or is this more of kind of a kind of a, a passion project without the serious overtones to it? No, I think there's definitely serious uh, serious undertones that are going on with the story, with the with the different characters. The, the device of putting people on a voyage is is well worn in fiction, and it's it's you know if you, whether you look at Titanic or whether you look at uh, Moby Dick, you know you're looking at different people thrown together in unusual circumstances and a ship is the perfect place to explore that and at the time of this this uh, this game which is the early 19th century we're looking at a world uh, in which uh, uh, social strata were incredibly important and also it's interesting that they were incredibly important you know not just in, it wasn't there wasn't there wasn't uh, this uh, this unity between the, the working classes, the middle classes, and the aristocracy—certainly not in in uh, England or in the colonies—and the, you know the game kind of shows that, that that there was a lot of division within those those social those social strata, and I, and I find that a, a really interesting thing to explore. And what but what Pope did with Papers Please is he is he allows you to to sort of figure it out as you go along. You can see what's happening because you're a human being. And you, you empathize with this other human being and the problems and the, the challenges that, that that person has to deal with. And I think that, again, is one of the real powers. And this is a horrible cliche, but it's a real power of video games is to understand what the world looks like from from someone else's point of view. Fantastic. Colin, I'm I'm excited to give this thing a try. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. And I'm going to get back to playing Red Dead Redemption 2. Sounds good. I think <laughs> uh, I think I might as well. <laughs> I All will the best. talk I'll talk to you soon. Bye. 
I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. 